This week on Mind Matters, Bob Lapine returns to the program. These are ways in which we offend one another, sin against each other, deal with this. If we don't know how to seek and grant forgiveness, then all of that just becomes the logjam in our marriage where the hurt builds up. We have to know how to clear the logjam and let the river flow again. And so I spend a lot of time talking about what do we do with anger when it pops up? And then how do we how do we confess to one another? How do we extend forgiveness to one another? And then how do we rebuild trust after trust has been violated in a marriage? Because whatever the issues are, an offense with the kids, something you did, something you said or did, um, even money issues, all of these are just symptoms of the, the greater issue, which is do we know how to do life together and clear away the debris that's gonna come into our marriage and be on the same team? mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! week on Mind Matters. It's time to turn down the noise and listen to what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind because your mind matters. So come on in and join us. Well, those are all the rocks that, I mean, I think I even did a video one time on my website where I was out in the yard and I had this uh, mesh sack tied around my neck and I was picking up these rocks from the garden, bitterness, resentment, right. hurt, right. fear, like all of that, and how it just weighs you down. And I think these hurts can weigh us down. And so forgiveness is the best way to keep accounts at zero. And I love that you spend time on that because I do a beautiful exercise called the certificate of debt with people mm. uh, based on a scripture in Colossians. And we go through and process what happened, what I felt about what happened, and most importantly, what I came to believe about myself as a result of what happened, mm. right? That's so and good. yeah, and what what was my loss with this? Well, I felt a loss of security because you weren't acting like my secure base. You know, I felt a loss of, you know, adequacy, I whatever. And I'm gonna choose now to trust Christ as my security, as my adequacy, whatever. Yeah. And then lead them through um, you know, deciding about if I'm ready to to commit to this forgiveness. Well, and here's something that I think is so important for for most couples. We can't we we've got to develop the discipline of with with a lot of the offenses that we're going to commit against one another. We've got to develop the discipline of pouring grace on those offenses. So Proverbs 19:11 says it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. Mm. And and in the New Testament, we say it this way, love covers a multitude, multitude of a multitude of sins. So in marriage, our assignment is to let love cover a lot of those transgressions. There are things that I've said to Marianne where she has just poured grace on it. And and she's just said, I'm not going to let that be an offense. I'm going to believe the best about Bob. I'm 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 not going to get hung up on that. Yes, it hurt. Yes, it stung. But God is sufficient to help me deal with whatever those idle words were, or the thing I didn't do, or the disappointments that occurred. 
We, we both had to learn how do you pour grace on a relationship like that. Now, there will be other things where the, the hurt is deep or where it builds up over time or the pattern just continues. There are times that we have to know how to confront, lovingly confront a spouse and where we've got to go through the process of actually unpacking, relearning, uh, deprogramming, reprogramming putting off certain things, putting on new things. That's the Bible language for all of this so that we can start to walk and we can start to rebuild trust. But those should be the the, the big issues. If you find yourself, I was reading an article this morning in the Wall Street Journal about people who are physically hypersensitive. There's, there's a, a phenomenon of hypersensitive people. Well, some people in marriage have emotional hypersensitivity. Mm. And I think the Bible would tell us we need to look at our our sensitivity and go, is our sensitivity meter up too much? And do we need to learn how to overlook offenses and and pour grace, cover a multitude of sins with the grace we've received from God, grant it to our spouse, and then deal with the big issues when they come along? I, I mentioned the couple that I'm taking through the book right now. I mean, they got they got to a point after many years of him being in a high pressure high high work involvement job where the the isolation in their marriage was real because he wasn't around and he I, I got this and I can't do that and he's busy she's feeling left out alone there was just a wedge between the two of them well it, it took it, it came to a point where they said we've got to address this and and They've moved in and made changes and recalibrations. He's actually taken a new job in order to turn back some of the stress he was feeling. So he's got more time, more availability for the family. And their marriage is in a, in a good spot going forward. But it's because they they knew how to address the crisis issue that had come along. And they also knew how to dismiss some of the lesser issues. I, I see couples getting alienated and isolated over things that I go, that should not be an issue for you. That's right. something you need to let go, pour grace on it, let love cover a multitude of sins there. Well, I think you brought up a really important point, and that is, what do I know about my spouse? Right. What do I know about their heart? Is this really, after all these years, what I believe about you? Yeah. And that's a really good question to take inventory of. Because if I know my spouse has, and I know some people don't, like you were saying, with the deeper woundings or perpetual years and years and years of this, it can cause damage. Yeah. But we have to get back to, hey, what do we know about our hearts when we met? Why are we still together? What's God's purpose here? Yeah. Richard, how are we doing? Did he leave? Richard, you there? Yeah, well, I'm just going to keep keep plowing. Yeah, because yeah, you know, usually I'm sorry he... about that. I, uh, I I had to run a a, a script in, uh, in in another room there. Sorry. Okay. Well, do you do we cut? Is that enough for the first one? And we'll just oh, go yeah, into the second. Oh yeah, we have plenty for the first one. That was great. Okay, so I'm just going to re-welcome you, Bob, and because uh, I've got several more things I want to ask you about with. Got uh, it. Okay, Bob, welcome back to Mind Matters. Thank you for doing a second show with us. Glad to be with both of you guys. Thanks for having me. So I want to go back to uh, something we were talking about uh, in the first episode, 
we talked a lot about couples and, you know, getting their feelings hurt easily. We talked about uh, couples being, um, you know, carrying, you know, these attachment wounds and the card files that we oftentimes uh, form about each other. It's not just one little event that you did, but you've done this thing for the last 10, 15 years, right? And that builds up. And I think one of the biggest problems that I see in marriages is expectations. Mm -hmm. And you write about that in chapter two. How can our motivations and expectations for marriage in the very beginning lead to these deep disappointments that we were talking about last time, years down the road? And what can couples do about this? Because as we've said, some wounds run deep. And working with couples, I want to have them be curious about how God wants them to respond when expectations aren't met. And you've said, pour some grace on us, right? right. Um, how does he treat us when we don't meet his expectations mm -hmm. for acceptance? So what I teach people is that another word for expectations is standards. And when we don't meet them, we feel rejected by our spouse. And another word for standards is the law. <laughs> and so we forget that we've died to the law. That right. we're supposed to bear fruit for God. But in our flesh, when we operate from a law-based system instead of a grace-based system, we're really bearing fruit unto death, which Scripture says in Romans 7, 4, and 5, right? That arouses these sinful passions, things like anger and resentment, manipulation, control, all the things we do when we're – sour is not even a good word – when we're really angry at our spouses. So I want people to be curious about that because I think we accept each other, not based on our being, but we accept each other on the basis of our doing. Hmm. And so, you know, does God accept us on the basis of our behavior? No. He has made our being acceptable to him just by the fact that we're his kids. Yeah. And so that's something we really, we have to release each other from expectations from this system, this law-based system for acceptance and accept them on another, through another system. And that's what you were, have been saying, a grace-based system, because the law is an achieving system, a measuring up symptom where I'm checking off the boxes uh, about what my spouse did or didn't do. And put them in this grace operating system, which is more of a receiving system. Is that how you kind of see this whole thing? I do. I, I think when it comes to expectations, we have to start with with this idea. We all bring a lot of expectations into a marriage relationship. Some of them are subconscious. So we had a we had a situation early in our marriage. It was actually the first Saturday that we were married and at home together. And Marianne and I had dated for four years, and she knew that my pattern on Saturday, when I was in college. I I slept in Saturday morning. I mean, I and if you leave me alone and don't set an alarm clock, I can sleep for a long time. I'm good at sleeping. So, uh and Marianne by the way is just the opposite. She wakes up early. She when she wakes up, she's awake. She's not groggy. She just is ready to go. Shipper. Yeah, one of those, huh? <laughs> so the the first Saturday morning that we're married, she woke up at 6 or 6:30 that morning got out of bed, went out to the kitchen, made some breakfast, did whatever. But but it's a Saturday morning and she we're alone in the house and by a, by the time it's nine o'clock, 
She's now been awake for two and a half or three hours alone. I'm still asleep. <laughs> so she came in that morning and uh, at nine o'clock and raised the shades in the bedroom. And I remember kind of, I was aware that I was being awakened. And I looked at her and said, what are you, what are you doing? This is Saturday. I'm, I'm, just, I'm wanna, sleeping. I want to slack in. <laughs> and and she, she, I could tell, she could tell I was annoyed. She got upset. She left. And I thought I should probably get up and go talk to her. So about 1030, I got out of bed and went and talked to her. Okay. An hour and a half later. Back to sleep? Yeah, I did. <laughs> like any good husband would. That's right. And and we spent a lot of time talking about that morning and what had gone on that morning. And she said, you know, my dad on Saturdays would get up. He'd have a to-do list. He would tackle that to-do list. She said, I, I knew what you'd done in college, but I just thought once we got married, you, you'd be like my dad. You'd get up on a Saturday morning and you'd start to tackle the to-do list. And I said, that was not in the vows. I did not promise to do that. So we've laughed about that since then, and and we've had to work that out. But here's an example of uh, an unvoiced. Uh, this was an expectation she brought into marriage. We'd never talked about this. It was just a subconscious expectation. There, there are some expectations in marriage that are right and legitimate for us to have. So we should expect physical safety in a marriage relationship. That, that no one is going to bring harm to another person. We should expect there to be emotional safety in a relationship. We should expect that that we're going to come home at the end of the day and live in the same house. I mean, things that we look at today, we should expect communication, that we know where each other is, that we're, these are our basic expectations that are legitimate. But we have a whole treasure chest full of expectations that are really preferences. Here's how I'd like you to be functioning. Here's how I think you should be functioning. And the other person doesn't meet our expectations. And then we punish them. Sometimes they don't even know that we have the expectation and we're punishing them for not doing what we thought that they should do. And they didn't even know we had that thought. This is where we have to go back and, and say, do we have legitimate expectations here? Or do we have preferences? And how do we adjust to one another's schedule? I, I think Marianne probably had the expectation when we got married 44 years ago that we would go to bed at the same time together. Mm. Well, if I go to bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock when she's going to bed, I'm going to wake up about 2 in the morning and be awake for a couple hours. I've just learned I need to stay up a little longer and be a little more tired before I go to bed. Now. That means for many years now, she goes to bed. I've got a couple hours still left before I'm going to come to bed. She's going to be up before I am. I'm going to get up later than she does. And somebody could look at that and go, I hate that. Well, I, I think for her at first, it was, this is not how I wanted marriage to be. But now after 44 years, we go, that's not a big deal. We adjust to one another. We we figured out that's not what really matters or is important. My expectations here are, aren't something that we should that should separate us or isolate us. That's what I think we've got to say. Legitimate expectations here. We're going to deal with those. Other expectations, we're going to have to recalibrate. Is my problem my spouse or is my problem my expectation? Exactly. Because you know what? We can't really change our spouse, can we? 
I've learned that over the years. Yes. All we can change is our own attitudes, actions, beliefs, right? Yep. Actions, our actions. That's what we have control over. I sit down with couples and they say, I I say, if you're hoping I'm going to change your spouse, I've got bad news from you for, for you at the beginning here. I, there's nothing I can do to change your spouse. In fact, I'm not even going to talk to your spouse during this whole situation. I'm only talking to you. Now, I'm saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. They're going to hear me talk to both of them. But my point is, the only person you can control is you. And sometimes you can't even control yourself. So this is where we have to focus on you. What's your contribution? And you have to leave it to God to do the alterations, whatever they need to be in the life of your spouse. So let me just ask, since you excuse me, broach this subject with, there are some expectations that are legitimate, like safety and, you know, physical safety, all of those things. Mm -hmm. When is it time to call it quits with some of that? I mean, do we draw boundaries? Do we just separate from a spouse? I mean, you know, infidelity could be a you know, huge piece of of spouse being emotionally unsafe. Yeah. Um. You know, domestic violence, all of those things. Well, let's let's start with with our premise, which is God puts couples together with the intent and design that they would stay together. That that marriage is designed by God to be a lifelong covenant relationship. That should be our goal, our priority. That's that's why we come together in the first place. I tell couples, you should think about your marriage this way. Let's say on the day you got married, I gave you a brand new uh, top of the line Lexus. Here's your wedding present. It's from me. And you would say, this is a wonderful gift. I said, now here's the catch. This is the only car you will ever have for your entire life. Okay. Now, if if I told you that and you said, I'm going to receive this gift, it's the only car we'll ever have, but it's such a wonderful car, we want it, two things would happen. Number one, you would take care of that car because it's got to last a lifetime. And number two, when it broke down, which it would, you would take it to the shop and get it repaired because trading it in is not an option. I think couples need to come into marriage with that outlook which is this is the relationship we're going to have for a lifetime. We need to take care of it so it can go the distance. And when it breaks down, we need to go in and and get it fixed. Mm. And a lot of couples today who are calling it quits in marriage are calling it quits because they said, we've come to an impasse. We don't know how to fix it. But they've never gone to a mechanic. They've never gone to a counselor. They've never gone to their pastor. They've never gone to a marriage conference. Maybe they've read a book or two and said, this didn't fix it. This didn't work. they're throwing in the towel prematurely, so many of them, and they're not considering the implications of throwing in the towel. The fact that there's going to be one of their kids someday is going to get married and somebody else is going to be walking her down the aisle because mom got remarried. And you just haven't thought through all of the dynamics of that. Yeah. With that, with that said, back to your question, there are times when there is stubborn, hard-heartedness on the part of one spouse or both spouses And that stubborn hard-heartedness is putting other people at risk. And Jesus, when he was asked the question, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He makes an interesting statement. He says, you know, have you read the law? God granted divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Mm. It's not God's design, but when you're dealing with somebody who is a hard-hearted, stubborn, unrepentant, 
person who is putting people at risk in a marriage relationship, you should do this. You should go to people who are your spiritual protectors, counselors, guides, and you should say, here's what, here's the risk I'm feeling. Here's what I'm up against. I need your help. I need your protection. And I, I need your care in this situation. And then those those godly spiritual guides, those your typically your pastor, your church, your elders. This is who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. not just a friend who's another Christian. But you, you go to people who are spiritually mature, people who are in spiritual authority over you and your local church, and you say, "Here's what we're dealing with," and you you can if you're going to consider separation or divorce, you consider that with their involvement and their participation. Now, I know I'm saying this, Rita, and you know this as well. There have been some shepherds who have stumbled in their responsibilities here. There are some pastors who would say, well, you just need to go live with your husband. And, you know, if Jesus said, if he strikes you on the right cheek, offer him the left. I go, that's an out-of-context interpretation of that verse. And I would say to that pastor, if if you're not taking responsibility to help protect that the person. sheep who's mm-hmm. under you, you're, you're being a bad shepherd, a poor shepherd. And and so I've been in a situation, I, I think I talk about it in the book, uh, a wife who came to us, our, our elder board, her husband was uh, was being unfaithful, was unrepentant about his infidelity. He was continuing, there nights he just didn't come home. He was engaging in substance abuse. Uh, their, their finances were at risk. Both of them were working. She was watching money get drained away. They had a child at home. She came to us. What she wanted more than anything else was to have her old husband back. Mm. She she wanted, she didn't want to punish him or hurt him. She wasn't, yet was she angry with him? Sure, there was anger there, but ultimately she wanted a restored marriage. And so we got involved confronting the husband, addressing this. We finally came to a place where we had to tell it to the church. Mm-hmm. which Matthew 18 tells you yep. to do. We had to explain that this was going on. This this husband knew we were going to be doing that. Um, he didn't care. And for her protection, financially and physically, we said to her, we think you should pursue protection, separation. We, we looked at, we talked about separation versus divorce. There are, there are legal issues involved with that. We, we endorsed her pursuing a divorce. Right. As she was pursuing the divorce, the desire of her heart was still that her husband would repent and that they could reestablish. And we we said to her, divorce isn't the end of the story. He could repent and come back and, and we could see God get glorified in all of this. But right now for your protection financially and physically, you need the law to protect you from a husband who is a hard-hearted, unrepentant husband. Mm. So yeah, I think there are instances like that where the right shepherding move for a pastor, for a group of elders, is to come alongside somebody who is facing risk and harm and use the law to bring protection to that person who's vulnerable. But if we're pursuing divorce to punish somebody else because we're angry at somebody else, that that's a whole different scenario where we need to talk about what's going on in your heart and how do we deal with with these problems in your own heart. Yeah. Good word, Bob. Really good word. I love your stand on that. 
What do you think some of the most common pressure points are in marriages today, as opposed to maybe 50 years ago? I mean, certainly culture shifted and changed. What are you seeing as you counsel people? Well, I, I think the things that are coming up in that I, I would call presenting issues or or symptoms of marital distress, those change because of culture. We, we, we're we on different sides of a political landscape. And so uh, I, I don't like the guy you're voting for. You don't like the guy I'm voting for. That can be a wedge in marriage. We have disagreements about how to raise the kids or, uh, or, or what we should be doing. Uh, I, I know some moms who are hyper-protective of their kids and some dads who uh, want a whole lot of risk and they, they want their kids out falling down and breaking a leg. And mom is like, I don't want my child to break a leg. That can be a wedge issue. Uh, financial issues can be wedge issues. These are these these are common trouble issues. Sexual issues in marriage. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. How about let's broach the big S word, sex. And, and the sexual issues in marriage are different today than they were maybe 20 or 30 years ago because we live in a hypersexualized culture. And because the proliferation of pornography in our culture today has warped our, our view and our thinking about sexuality. When, when I was when, when I was uh, 11 years old, my parents went to see. No, I was nine years old. My parents went to see the movie The Graduate, hmm. with Dustin Hoffman. Yep. And my dad came home. I'll never forget this. I said, how was the movie? I'm nine years old. And he looked at me with a stern face. He says, that's a movie you will never go see <laughs> well it's because there's a scene in the movie where the the bride's mother is trying to seduce the young man right we we look at that today and it's laughably nothing. it's tame yeah it would get a nothing. pg rating right yes but my dad was so incensed that that was on a movie screen back in 1967 that he said you would never you'll never see a movie like that. That's just a view of how far we've come in our culture in terms of the way we look at sex. That affects our expectations of one another sexually in a marriage relationship. That becomes a, a wedge issue. But whether it's sex or money or the kids or communication or we, we can go through the whole litany, I think we come back to where we've been talking about. Most of these issues are wrapped up in my expectations not being met. You think differently about this than I do. Uh, here's what I want. Here's what you want. We're separated because we don't want the same thing. But nobody's stopping to ask the question, what does God want in this relationship? And that's where we've got to come back with with whatever the presenting issues are. We come back and say, what would the Lord have us do? How can we magnify him and glorify him together? That's what we care most about in our marriage. Mm. Deception, denial. We hear it, we think it, and we find ourselves in a toxic pool of negative thinking. Everybody out of the pool. Deceptive thoughts take root in the mind, and you've got to change the physical nature of where the brain goes and redirect your thoughts to good. How? By noticing, paying attention. It all starts in your mind. You can buy index cards and write down positive thoughts. Focus on what is good, beautiful, and worthy, and think on these things, not on those things. The brain has a system of checks and balances 
imbalances and reorganizes on what you think. When you name the deceptive thought, you can eliminate it by replacing it in your card file by a better thought. So if I think that I'm not good enough or smart enough to be in the job I'm in, then think of a time you creatively contributed to someone's life. Write it down. That integrates right and left brain. Think of a time you creatively contributed to someone's life. And each time you think that you're not worthy, write down the truth about why you were born for such a time as this. Think this, not that. A renewable resource from Mind Matters. Go to RitaSchulte.com.